chapter 4, verse 11, to chapter 5, verse 2. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 1030. 1030. The word of the Lord speaks to us this morning the following words. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. This morning, let's go to the Lord and pray and ask Him to give us His Spirit. Father, we do thank You that once again, on a beautiful day like this, You have given us a chance, the calling to sit under Your Word, to be instructed by Your revelation. Lord, we take this revelation to come directly from You, inspired through by Your Holy Spirit, to the apostles and the prophets. And Lord, we pray now that this revelation would speak to our hearts. Lord, we need you. It's not me, it's not my wisdom, but the discernment and the power of the Holy Spirit that makes this truth come to life and speak to our own hearts. Father, we pray you do so in the name of Jesus for his glory and honor. Amen. Well, the passage we just read is part of a larger section of this letter in which Paul warns Timothy about people who will depart from the faith. False assurances, false gospels will produce false Christians who will eventually abandon the faith. But even if they don't leave the church, even when such people remain in church, they oftentimes produce more trouble than good. Being self-assured, even though deceptively, these false Christians never question their faith. They never examine themselves to make sure they are in the faith. But they're also very unhappy when they hear teachings that are aimed at making the self-deceived Christians uncomfortable. 
So not only don't they like it for themselves, they just don't want that kind of teaching to be proclaimed in churches. There are very unhappy when the church places emphasis on the danger of abandoning the faith. They're unhappy when the church confronts false understandings of the gospel. Now, last week we looked at what Paul taught Timothy to do to help his members persevere in the faith. Look at verse 4 of chapter, verse 6 of chapter 4. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ, Jesus. In other words, friends, yes, pointing out that some members may be in danger of departing from the faith, as the Spirit said in verse 1, pointing out that some members may be in danger of departing from the faith is a significant part of what this young pastor was supposed to teach his congregation. Paul gives a similar command in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Now, if you're listening this morning and you are not a pastor, which is most of you here, please do not conclude that you can check out of listening to the sermon. We can all benefit from, what, from a sermon that is spoken by one apostle to another pastor in at least two ways we can benefit. First, we can benefit by understanding what we should all aspire to be like. We should all aspire to be the way Paul encouraged Timothy to be. And second of all, another benefit for us is also what Paul says to Timothy in verse 16 of this passage. Paul says, persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Yes, our salvation as hearers is on the line as well. Listening to the right teaching and having before us the right models of godliness has significant effects on our own salvation. Because the Spirit warned us about the danger that in later times some will fall away from the faith, we must follow the right guideposts on the path of salvation so that we will persevere to the end. So yes, this sermon is for Timothy, this sermon is for pastors, but this sermon is for all of us this morning. So let's look at three they're not points, but they're, they're the markers in the sermon. It's, a, it's somewhat of an unusual sermon today. There's a problem, there's a solution, there's a result. The problem, the solution, and the result. Let's look at each of these as Paul unpacks for Timothy uh, the, this, this letter. The problem. By the time we get to verse 11, we find out that Timothy's problem was not just the false teachers. But there is also possible mistrust and disrespect in the church. The challenge Timothy faced at Ephesus came not only from the outside, but also from within. Timothy faced not only the pressures of false teachers, but also the lack of trust from within his own congregation, and perhaps even accusations about his lack of experience, 
lack of having enough age, of knowing how to deal with the difficult issues of combating false teachers. Now, yes, Timothy was a young pastor. Most commentators say that he was probably in his early 30s. This was probably his first church in terms of a senior pastor role, in terms of, of a full pastorate. And also we're told that he possibly was quite timid. He probably did not have the type A personality. When he goes in a room, you know he's there. He demands control. He demands leadership. He knows how to, how to lead. And he's just the kind of guy who is great to follow bec because he's just such a great leader. Timothy may not have had that leadership type of personality. Why? Because it appears that he was quite timid. Paul has to encourage him later not to neglect the gift that was given him. And yet, Paul is encouraging this young, inexperienced, and timid pastor how to address the challenges that he faced from within the congregation. Look at verse 11. Command and teach these things. Notice Paul doesn't say just teach these things. But command and teach these things. Let me pause here for a moment. Can I, can I speak to all of you? And I, I hope I am. But in the church, God's word is given to us not simply as advice or good counsel, but as commands. So one of the things we're supposed to do in church is not just give you good advice that you either take or leave. Coming to church is not like going to a spiritual counseling session. When we sit together and listen from God's Word, it's supposed to be commanding. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't just teach, but command and teach these things. This means that a, a regular part of the church's diet is to listen to God's commands. Now, I, I want to emphasize this because there are some of us who think when they hear the words or the word commands or rules, they immediately conclude legalism. But Jesus himself said, if you loved, loved me, you would obey my commands. So please don't understand when, when Paul is telling Timothy here, command these things, that he's telling Timothy, be legalistic. Just the presence of commands does not mean legalism. And yet Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things if you are going to be a faithful minister of the gospel. Now this past week, I met a believer from another sister church. A church, you all know, I'm not going to tell you the name, but the, the, the pastor is trying to bring in some great changes, biblical changes, to help the church come back to a more biblical understanding of what it means to be a church. And I've heard from 
the grapevine, that this pastor is getting quite a bit of bickering, including from some of his own members, because of the changes he's encouraging the church to have. So we've been praying for, this is one of the churches we've been praying for. Uh, you don't know why, but one of them is, is this. So I told the, this member, I said, wow, I know, I know you're going through quite a few good changes, painful, hard changes. It's costing your church quite a bit. People are leaving, and those who are unhappy are leaving, and, and I know it's not easy for you and your pastor, but we're praying for you. And he said some of the most profound words I have heard in a while. He said the following, when grace increases, our flesh resists it. Because we have so much invested in our flesh, when the Lord takes away fleshly things from us, we resent it. Friends, when God's commands are brought to our attention and when we actually pass them on, not simply as advice or suggestions, but as commands, our sinful nature will always want to resist it. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how mature you are in the faith, when God's commands are brought to us as commands, our sinful, fleshly nature will want to resist it, even if you've been a Christian for a long time. That's just the way it is. One way of resisting God's commands is by accusing the messenger. By finding some fault in him in order to discredit his charge of commanding God's truth. Now, in the case of Timothy, the one easy accusation against him that people found and could bring towards him, against him, was that he is young pastor and he has no experience. What does he what does he know about how to combat false teachers? Or who does he think he is to, that he can stand against the traditions of men? How dare he expose the traditions of men? When we don't like the message of God, our human nature will try to discredit the messenger. And this was Timothy's challenge. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. The context of that command is in the, in the overall instruction God, Paul gave Timothy to instruct against false teachers. Now this challenge is not only for young pastors. This intergenerational accusation happens all the time. It is not uncommon for God's Spirit to awaken the hearts of young Christians who read the Bible with fresh eyes. And they look at the church practices of their parents and they see more human tradition than the Word of God. And they desire to return back to the Scriptures. In such challenges, one trap the older saints can fall into is to disregard the message by simply saying, well, they're young. They don't know how these things run. They haven't lived enough. Or they're just revolutionaries. They just want to change things. It's easy for the older saints 
to think that it's just a de generational difference. On the other side, we could change the roles and have a godly, mature, older saint come and bring a biblical challenge to the young generation. And it's easy for the young generation to simply dismiss the message because of the fact the messenger is just old-fashioned. Let me take an example. It's easy for younger families, for younger Christians, when they hear older Christians encourage younger parents how to discipline children in the fear of the Lord, for younger parents to say, well, that is just the thing of the past. Or that's, that was their generation. And we young people also dismiss the messenger when an older saint brings a godly message to us and we just do the same to them. Well, we despise their spiritual maturity because we despise their age. The sin of the young generation is that younger saints can fall into the sin of disrespecting our older saints and treating them as lesser value. As a matter of fact, we live in a society that despises old age, even though the Bible prizes old age. We live in a day when churches who have larger segments of older saints are perceived as dying churches. And many younger Christians don't want to be in them. Who wants to be in a dying church? So they would say. Um, th they feel very awkward often. So that the attitude of many younger Christians toward the older saints is neglect and disrespect. It happens both ways, dear friends. It's not just old towards young. It's young towards old. Paul tells Timothy how to stay away from these intergenerational accusations and sins. I want to point you forward to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Paul says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, and older women as mothers. Timothy was in a position of spiritual authority as an overseer, as an elder, and occasionally he had to rebuke members who were older than him. Yet even when such correction had to be done, his attitude should be as if he's dealing with his own father, or mother. Even though Timothy was a pastor, and even though each member of the church is considered a brother or sister, yet we should never fall in the trap of thinking that just because we're brothers and sisters, we can treat older saints as if they were our age. I want to speak to our young members right now. Young members. I want to encourage ourselves to treat the older generation as if they were our parents. Treat them this way. Now, yes, they may not be able to keep up with technology, although some of them have iPhones. And some of them text. They may not be able to have the same ways of doing things as we are now learning to do things. They may not have our preference of music styles, but friends, these are no reasons to disrespect them 
or somehow neglect their advice or neglect them altogether. The young generation is challenged to treat the older saints with biblical respect, with the same respect that we are to treat our own parents for at least two reasons. First of all, our disrespect for parents or for older saints shows a deficiency in our worship of God. If we don't like worshiping with people who are unlike us in age, we have a problem worshiping God who is unlike us on so many other fronts. If we have to have people of our own age in order to worship God, our worship of God is deficient. But the second reason why we need to respect older saints is because our if our inability to deal biblically with older saints, if we have that, it may show a deficiency in our theology of the church. The church is, is a household. It's a family. It's God's household. And in any family, you have younger people and older people. If we think that we can only be in a church that has our age people, we have a hard time understanding how the church is to be God's family with people of all ages. So by, by disrespecting, by having a hard time upholding, recommending, coming alongside all, all the saints, our, our fathers and mothers, we actually may have a hard time understanding the church as a biblical picture. That was for the younger Christians, for the older saints. Now let's track back to Timothy, to, to verse 11 and 12. Because Timothy's faced with this challenge. He's young, he's inexperienced, and he has to deal with false teachers. Now here's, here's also something to, 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 to realize. We don't know if he was only older saints that accused Timothy of younger age. It could have been younger saints also that just didn't trust his leadership because he was their peer. So it's, it's not just a generational issue here. But let's look at the solution. Here's a pro we just looked at the problem. Disrespect, mistrust in the church. Let's look at the solution. Look at verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but here's a solution. Set an example for believers. The solution is simply this. Set an example. If others are inclining to look down on you because of your youth, Live such a life that they look up to your example. Friends, in most of the Bible, parents and older saints are charged to be examples for the upcoming generation. In Titus, older women are charged to train younger women. But here, Paul is charging this young pastor to live such a life that even if his age might be a liability, his maturity and example of life would attract people's attentions. Young people, when you feel that others may look down on you because of your ex lack of experience or age, what should you do? Ignore them and deep down in your heart dismiss them as them being old-fashioned and out of touch. No! Focus instead on being a good example. Being a good example for believers. Let your way of life give you the credentials Look at five ways, five areas in which Timothy was supposed to get, be an example. In speech, yes, how you speak to others. 
what you speak to them is the first area in which we are to set an example. Even when others speak negatively towards you, let your speech be an example. Let no slander or no dirty jokes be found on your lips. Let your words always be graceful and kind. In life, becoming a follower of Christ changes the way we live life. Our life will start being different. We put aside the old self and we live with a new self. We're called to live a gospel-centered life that others could follow. An example in love, and this is one of the distinctives um, of a new life of, of a Christian, love for people. Now, this is not the same thing as being polite, friendly, or social. You can be polite, friendly, or social and not love people. You can. There are lots of Christians who satisfy themselves with that. As long as you're just nice to each other on Sundays, don't get in my business, and I'm not going to get in your business. We don't love each other. We are just politely respecting one another. Friends, be an example of love, the kind of love that God pours in our hearts through His Spirit so that when others look down on us, we can love them back in return. Be an example in faith. Now, how can you be an example in faith? Isn't it enough just to have faith? Why well, need to be an example in faith? Timothy was to be an example in how he exercised his faith, in how he believed God's word to be true even when it's difficult, uh, in how he trusted God's promises even when there seemed to be no hope. And by the way, a great way to gauge our faith is to take a look at the fervency of our prayer lives. Do we set time aside to pray by ourselves, with others? Do you believe that prayer is the first stop you need to make in fixing a problem, or do you use it as a last resort? Be an example in faith. And then finally, be an example in purity. Now, this deals with our ethics. Uh, and especially for young people, this is an incredibly important part, even though old, older saints are not excused of this. But especially for young people, Christians, be an example in purity. This deals with our intensity to fight off sin in our lives, in our thoughts, in our motives, in our actions, in our relationships. None of us can be without sin, but all of us should strive for purity and battling sin in our lives and being an example of this. These were the five areas in which Timothy was called to be an example. How do you return the favor of those who look down on you? Don't you dare to look down on them either. Instead, be an example so you give them reasons for, to them to look up to you. Now, this idea of being an example was given uh, by Peter in 1 Peter uh, for chapter 5 when Peter told the shepherds, the elders of the church, how to shepherd God's flock. He said, be examples to the flock. Pastoring work is example work. Um, Christians should be examples. Paul says to in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Timothy's first emphasis in responding to those who did not trust his leadership was to be an example in his personal life, in speech, in faith, in love, and purity. But since Timothy was a pastor, his emphasis was supposed to 
uh, be focused not only on his example, but also on cer certain essential parts of the life of the church. Look at verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. This is a huge point. If people are going to trust Timothy's pastoral authority, if they're going to have a reason not to trust him because of his age, or even if they're not going to trust him because of his life example, he's to focus, Timothy's to focus on the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because Scripture is the ultimate authority of every pastor. The authority of a pastor is not in his personality, is not in his ability to lead others, is not even in his role as a pastor, although Scripture clearly says that pastors have a certain authority in the church. But the ultimate authority of the pastor is not even his position. The ultimate authority of, the, of every pastor is the word he is communicating to the people, the word of God, this book. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, just focus on reading this book. Yes, others may look down on you because of your age. Others may not be convinced by your example. But at the end of the day, they cannot dispense with this book. If it says it, do it. Read it. Teach it. Preach it. That's why Paul, throughout, in other parts of the New Testament, tells believers in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. In the book of Revelation, it says in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Friends, until I come, Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching, because that's where the authority is. Not in the pastor. Amen? Amen. It's in the Word. So despised or respected, looked down upon or appreciated, it is the Word of God that brings life and change in people's lives, not the personality or even the maturity of the pastor. And then there's a third encouragement that Paul gives Timothy. A third solution is don't be timid. Be courageous. Work on the gift you have received. Look at verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Friends, this is an encouragement to Timothy and to us that just because God gives us a gift does not mean that we can just sit around and just wait for it to happen. We are, call, we are called and encouraged not to neglect it, but to put that gift into practice, to use it, to stretch it, to equip ourselves to it. One way you can do that is is find out other men or women who have a similar gift as you and learn from them how they're using it for God's glory. So the solution Paul gave to Timothy to the problem that was in Ephesus was be an example, focus on Scripture, and be courageous in using your gift. Friends, be cautious of the tendency of rejecting the message by finding fault with the messenger. Now, let me pause here. i got to say something specific for Park Hills. In the time I've been here at Park Hills in almost three years, I have greatly been blessed to shepherd a congregation that has trusted my leadership, but also has been willing to follow God's word. I praise God for men 
who have, and women, members of our congregation, who even when, they, when you have different opinions, we will go to the Word and we will try to understand why is it that we're doing certain things. And even when we, at the end of the day, we may disagree, I have been blessed by the humbleness of so many of you who at the end of the day said, well, you're our pastor, we will follow. Please don't follow just because of my position. Follow because of the word that I'm trying to help you see. So in many ways, I want to say, I want to thank you for the way you have not looked down on my age and my lack of experience. It's been very encouraging to me. In some ways, it's unfair to preach this passage to you because I, I don't feel that's, that's our struggle. But this is part of God's word, and we're just going through it. But friends, the sinfulness of our human heart is always the same. That when we disagree with God's word, our first impression is to attack the messenger. Whether that would be a Sunday school teacher, whether that would be another fellow member of the congregation who brings something to our attention, it is always going to be to discount the messenger. Friends, don't think that you can excuse your disobedience by finding weaknesses in the messengers, even when those weaknesses are there. You excusing your disobedience will not work. Be careful of the tendency of later times. Paul, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4, 2 Timothy 2, 4, verse 3, For time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, if people don't like the messengers, they will change them and ensure they will have teachers who will only say what their itching ears want to hear. That is the sinfulness of our nature. That sinfulness will stay with us until we die. And we need to watch over that. Finally, the result. We looked at the problem. We looked at the solution. Let's look at the result. Why these commands? Paul tells Timothy, will give Timothy two reasons why he's commanding these things. Before we look at the reasons, there's, there's two more commands there in verse 15 and 16. Look, at, look with me. Be diligent in these manners. Give yourself wholly to them. I actually like the NASB. It says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. And in verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Both of these verses, uh, verses seek to capture the English idiom of total involvement and intensity. Why so much emphasis? Well, on one side, the first reason, look at verse 15, so that everyone may see your progress. Let people see Timothy's spiritual progress. Let people see your spiritual maturity. When age is a liability, focus on your spiritual maturity so people will have reasons to look up to you even when in their flesh they have reasons to look down on you. Live such a life. But if we look further, and as I study this passage, I realize there's so much intensity in these commands, something else must be going on than just Timothy's reputation. And sure enough, when we get to verse 16, 
we're told that something more is at hand here. Something more is at stake than just Timothy's reputation. Look at verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wow. This is the punchline of the text. This is why Paul used such intense language in these earlier verses. Something more is on the line than just Timothy's reputation. People's salvation was on the line. Now, in what way, here's a question, in what way was Timothy's commitment to watch his own life and doctrine closely, in what way was that going to be a way to save himself and his hearers? That just sounds a little off to us, doesn't it? Well, there are three hints that I'll look at briefly. Remember the immediate context that some in the later days will abandon the faith. Our salvation is not just an event. It's a journey, a process that begins with conversion but ends with glorification. And only those who persevere to the end will be saved. Mark 13, 13, Jesus says, He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Friends, perseverance itself is part of our salvation process. So those who fail to persevere show that they have not been truly saved. That's why Paul commands Timothy, persevere in your life and doctrine closely. Because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Perseverance is a key part of our salvation. Actually, friends, perseverance is the ultimate evidence of our salvation. But here's a second hint. The language of saving oneself, we're not very comfortable with this language. Paul is not telling Timothy that Timothy can save himself. Um, earlier in this letter, Paul said that God is our Savior, that Christ is the only mediator. So clearly, Paul is not now contradicting himself in the same letter. Yet there are times in Scripture when our response of faith and repentance are portrayed in such a way as if we are saving ourselves, even though it's clear that God is saving us. Let me give you the most clear example. There's a number of examples, but I'll give you just the most clear one. Acts chapter 2, when Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, preached the message of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Remember? People said, when people heard this, verse 37, when people heard this, they, was, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Yes, it is appropriate to speak of saving oneself when, it's, when it speaks about our response to the gospel, to the message of what Christ has done for us. And this is why and how Paul is using this language of saving oneself. 
in other words, people respond to the message of the gospel by repentance and faith. It's God who saves. But from a human perspective, we could save. They're saving themselves. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, but you've heard this message time and again, perhaps many other times, about God's judgment upon us, about God's judgment upon you, because you and I and all of us have rebelled against our Creator and owner. And I want to tell you that this God provided a way to save us by judging Christ in our place. God poured out His wrath on Christ, not on us, so that Christ could save us from our sin and from the judgment to come and to adopt us into His family. God raised Christ from the dead to give us the proof of this new creation and of the new nature that He has given us. And if we believe this message, I encourage you, if you believe this message, I encourage you to repent, be baptized, believe, so that you can experience God's salvation. By doing so, friend, you are saving yourself from this corrupt generation. Yet it's not you who are saving yourself. It's God's power who saves you. At the end of the service, if you want to receive this message, I encourage you to talk to one of our members. Or come and talk to me. But do not go away not receiving God's salvation. And there's a third and final hint about this language of saving oneself in this passage. Saving yourself and your hearers is especially true against the backdrop of what the prophet Ezekiel said to his people in Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 9. Hear the words of the prophet Ezekiel, because this is a great background of what it means to save yourself and your hearers. Ezekiel 33, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows a trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears a trumpet but does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes his life, his blood will be on his own head. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would have saved himself. But if the watchman sees a sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to, the, to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways. That wicked man will die for his sin. And I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not do so, he will die for his sin. But you will have saved yourself. Now, against that backdrop, read again the command Paul gives to Timothy. Persevere in these things. Watch your life and doctrine closely 
For if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. By faithfully discharging your duty as a pastor, you will have done your job. Whether people listen or re reject, you will save yourself. But if they do listen, you will save their souls from being in the category of those who abandon the faith. May God continue to raise pastors and lay spiritual leaders who are committed 100% to follow God's word in its entirety. May God raise up men who are more afraid of God than of men. May God raise up faithful servants who are more intimidated, who are not intimidated by the threats of men. May we be a church that cherishes total allegiance to God's word in every area of life and doctrine. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.